All right, so the reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes 1, um, through to verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 2. Um, let me just pray before I, before I read that God help us to understand um, and open our hearts this morning to his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day that you have provided uh, where we, we meet and hear your word. We pray, thank you also for the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, but we pray that as we read it this morning, as, as it, uh, Steve teaches from it, that you would give clarity to what is often a confusing and challenging book to read to some of us. Uh, we please help you that you would illuminate uh, your message in this book uh, so that it becomes something that is, that is helpful for us in understanding the nature of wisdom and living as your people on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never had enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet, yet to, sorry, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid upon mankind! I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly but I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? 
I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Nice cheerful reading. Um, I don't know when the last time was that you used a box of matches, but you kind of need one when the birthdays roll around. You've got to light the birthday candles, one of the few times you use them. But if you've ever had a real close look at this, I mean, this is the redhead, that's a good Australian brand, isn't it? It says um, since 1946. You turn it over and you discover actually it's made in Sweden. There you go. But then you look at the, the structure of this box and you know, with an engineering type mind, you think, isn't it amazing how it's made? You think of the machine that can fold this and stick it together and then you think, well, actually, there's someone watching over that machine, you know, controlling the dials, hitting the buttons. That's a fairly tedious type job, isn't it? And then when you look inside the drawer, it's actually got a date in there. This, this little box was made on the 26th of April, 2021 at 8.03 p.m. with 48 seconds. So there you go. That was a Monday evening. It was after dinner. I actually did a little Google Sweden redhead matches and whatever. It's they, they're made by another company, but it's made in a place called Kungalv. I can't say it properly, but there it is in Sweden. And you can imagine this person watching the machine. It's their shift. It's a night shift. It's been a long day, I expect leading into that, pressing those buttons, adjusting the dials, looking for inconsistencies. At around 8.03 p.m., along comes our little matchbox. Stamped, filled with matches. Off it goes. It makes you wonder about the life of that person. Sven or Elsa. <laughs> Watching this matchbox come through, making sure that it's made properly, stopping the machine when there's a, a crooked stamp happening before packing up and driving home in their Volvo, tucking themselves into their big Ikea bed with Ikea block-out curtains so they can sleep in in the morning, have lunch and go into their new shift the next day on Tuesday, 27th of April, back in again, do the same thing. In fact, they're about eight hours behind us, so it's about 2 a.m. now. They might be there working away at making their matchbox. There's got to be more to life, doesn't there? than making matchboxes that people rarely ever use. And I'm sure you've, I'm, I'm not meaning to pick on the Swedes or the matches or whatever, but just trying to get you, give you the feel for how tedious life can become. And I'm sure you've had the same thought about your own job or your own life. We spend most of our waking hours working, but do we really make any difference in this big world? And what's the point of it all? They're the kind of questions that this book, this Old Testament book of the Bible, makes us ask. They're the kind of questions that it puts in our minds because this, um, this book of the Old Testament explores the frustrating and the futile search for meaning in a life without God. And as you read on through it, it poses these questions for you. It can be a bit of a dark book, but it makes us ask questions that we should be asking. As you look at the way this book opens, it opens the first verse. There's a narrator of sorts who introduces the teacher to us. So the narrator says, here's the teacher. And then the second verse, um, we're handed over to the words of the teacher. Um, the, the, the narrator returns in the conclusion at the end of the book. 
to make some final remarks. So after this shortest possible introduction, the teacher in verse 1 um, says we have the conclusion... Sorry, in verse 1 we have the conclusion of the teacher's findings. So the conclusion of the teacher's teaching, at the beginning it says everything is meaningless. That's what the teacher wants to say. Everything is meaningless. What does the teacher mean by calling everything meaningless? Well, you keep reading to find out. So verses 3 to 11 of chapter 1 that Tom read for us is a poem there written by the teacher... It's a poem that kind of encapsulates his findings. In verse 3 it says, What do people gain from their labour at which they toil under sun making matchboxes? What do you gain from that? Verse 4, Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever turning on its course. Are you getting the feel for it? It's saying it's just, everything's just a repeated cycle. It just goes round and round. What do humans gain from their labour in this world that's going round and round? Do we change anything? And then you come to verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear, is um, its feel of hearing. What's been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 11, everything gets forgotten eventually. You can see why this is, it's dark, isn't it? What's the point? What is the point in all this? What does the teacher mean by declaring everything's meaningless? Well, if you look at that, and it's this idea that everything goes around and around with a tediousness. Um, it's kind of like a kid's roundabout with horses going up and down, just pointless. Life goes round and round. Ultimately, there's no progress towards any goal. There's no achievement, no profit, verse 3. It's grim, it's pessimistic. Um, the teacher, but the longer the teacher goes on, making their point... The more you read into Ecclesiastes, eventually you go, all right, all right, I hear you, I can see it, I agree. You're right. Even the optimists among us, not me, you, even the optimists among us will get to the point where you go, all right, it's real. There's this frustrating truth that you can't deny. So the conclusion at the beginning is, Everything is meaningless. The NIV uses the word meaningless. If you've got, um, you know, the King James, the perfect version, or I don't actually think that, but anyway, the NASB or the ESV, you, you might have a word like vanity in there instead of meaningless. Um, the idea of futility. And then the repetition of the word, so in verse 2 it says meaningless, meaningless, it's just for emphasis. It's just there underlining it. The Hebrew word behind this is the word hevel. It's a word for vapor or breath you know that's it vapor something that's passing it's insubstantial it's actually the word behind it the hebrew word is also the same word that is the name of eve's second son in genesis abel um that's our anglicized way of saying it abel's born and then he's cut off he passes away quickly it's like the living example of um, death being a certainty a puff of air is your life so the NIV translates meaningless. They're trying to encapsulate all that in one, in one word. I think the thing that makes Ecclesiastes hard for us to hear is as the teacher says, all this is meaningless, we think, well, no, we place so much value in all these things. We find our significance in our job-making matchboxes. We find our meaning and our purpose in all this stuff which has just been declared to be a puff of air. So Ecclesiastes, it challenges our values and our significance. Um, that's more or less chapter one. 
Then you come to chapter two. So the conclusion at the beginning was everything is meaningless. In chapter two, the teacher kind of substantiates his claims by saying, I've run some tests. I've done some good engineering experiments here. I've analyzed the data. And his conclusion after these various tests, well, everything is heaven. Everything is meaningless. Have a look at two verse one. I said to myself, come now, I will test with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. And then he goes on, he says he's tested pleasure, but then in verse 2 he's tested laughter. Verse 3 he's tested wine and folly. Verse 4 he's tested great projects. Verses 5 and 6 he's tested gardening. Verse 7 he's tested slaves, livestock. Verse 8 silver, gold, and even a harem. But notice the conclusion in verse 10, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I refuse my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Pleasure doesn't, in the end, give any more purpose or any more meaning or significance to this life. The teacher tested pleasure, found it wanting, and the experiments continue on and on. Um, chapter 2, verse 12, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. Also, madness and folly. Is there any benefit in being wise? But wisdom doesn't avoid the inevitability of death. Both the wise and the foolish will die. 2 verse 15, then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. It's kind of like death is the only certainty. There's nothing to be gained in pleasure, nothing to be, no advantage of being wise. The conclusion after various tests, everything is meaningless, a puff of air, just a vapour. And the longer the teacher works through these chapters, making his point, he wears us down because what he's saying is true. And you can't argue with the truth. And so we turn to chapter 3. We've gone chapter 1, chapter 2, we're into chapter 3. In chapter 3, the teacher gives us a glimpse, just a little glimpse at the end of his thesis. It's God who will give purpose and meaning and significance to what we do. That's where he'll end up. It's God who gives purpose to everything that we do. And here in these verses, God's put this burden on us, this task on us, this desire to find meaning, a desire to find purpose, a desire to find significance. But without God, you won't find it. That's the kind of gist as you come to chapter 3. Look at the way the tone changes. It becomes a little bit more positive. We've got another poem in chapter 3. It goes, there is a time for everything, a season for everything under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal. All the way down to verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's this poem saying what we know, that there's a time for everything in life, a time when each thing is fitting and appropriate and good even, or beautiful and enjoyable. There's even a time for things like war, if it's for the right purpose, when it brings justice and peace. There's even a proper place for hate. Everything has its time and its place in this world. Um, then in verse 10 is that word, the, the burden. Um, the ESV, I think, says the business. Um, some have the task. And I think the Hebrew behind it is the word inyan. 
So verse 10, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has placed eternity in the human heart. In this otherwise meaningless life, God has made things beautiful and appropriate in their time. And seeing that, knowing that, wants us, it drives us to want meaning, to want enjoyment, to want purpose, to want to go on living. Um, I think that's the burden that God places on our heart. Verse 11 says, God's placed eternity in the, heart of, in the human heart. I think the desire for meaning and purpose outside this life that we're locked into meaning outside this time-bound existence. But after the glimmer of hope, the frustration comes straight back in in the second half of the verse. On your own, you're not going to be able to discern it. You've got this task, this burden, to, but you're not going to find it. And so we might as well enjoy life while we can and make the most of the bright moments and accept them as a gift from God. So second half of verse 11, yet no one can fathom what God's done from the beginning to end. I know there is nothing better than, for people than to be happy and to do good in life while we live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. You get this kind of, this partial glimmer of some hope in this existence. Um, but nothing's fully resolved yet. The gloom takes over as you keep reading into Ecclesiastes. That glimmer of hope you'll come back to at the end when he puts God back into the picture. So Ecclesiastes, it goes round and around and around like that. And as you read through it, it's hard to sort of nail down a definite structure, and I think that's part of the meaninglessness of it, the futility of it. It kind of underlines the fact that this is all heaven, it's all a breath of air. Finally, you come to chapter 12, and at chapter 12, all the conclusions get drawn, but we'll come to that in a minute. Have another look back at what we've seen. So chapter 1, chapter 2 mainly. Have a look back, and there's another repeated phrase. Can you see it? It just keeps popping up. It's there back in 1 verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours at which, um, which they toil under the sun? And then in verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. And verse 14, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. You turn to chapter 2, it's in 2.11, 2, 2.17, 2, 2.18 and so on. It's this, the teacher is saying, I've conducted these experiments under the sun. It's kind of an earth-bound experiment he's assessing life if you kind of nudged God to one side put God out of the picture and then you analyze what you have in this world evaluate life with God out of the picture and it teaches you Bette Midler type theology if you're an old person you understand that you know God at a distance watching um, the teachers conducting his experiment with God out of the picture in other words he's evaluating the Australian life the good life a life where God's pushed to one side. He's evaluating what you could say um, atheism pushed to its natural end point, saying this is what, where you end up. If you say there is no God, then you're left with heaven. If you say there is no God, you're left with meaninglessness. Now, if you look at the other end of this book, if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, um, the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes God is firmly in the picture. So 12 verse 1, the teacher concludes, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So rather than live this meaningless life with God pushed out of the picture, no, remember God, put him back into the picture, live for him. 
And then the narrator who opened the book up by introducing the teacher back in 1 verse 1, he returns in 12 verse 9 with the concluding remarks. So verse 13 goes, um, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of mankind. And verse 14, it says God will be the one who's going to judge. So the conclusion at the beginning, everything's meaningless. The conclusion after multiple experiments, everything is meaningless. The conclusion at the end, fear God, keep his commands. Life under the sun, under the sun S-U-N, with God out of the picture, it is meaningless. It's God who gives purpose and meaning and significance. For us as Christians, New Testament glasses on, life under the S-O-N, life under the sun, is where you find meaning. It's God who's going to judge everything. Um, so we're at the last uh, point on the sermon outline. You can breathe a sigh of relief. The meaninglessness is coming to a conclusion. Um, as you think about this book, this Old Testament book, this Old Testament wisdom literature, you know, what, where does it hit home for us? What are the implications? And I, I reckon there is a positive side to Ecclesiastes. It kind of drives you to want to get more out of life under Jesus, living every day for Jesus, making the most of the fact that this world does go in seasons, that there is a time for everything, and enjoy what you can and all that. But I actually think... For most of us in materialistic Brisbane in 2023, I think most of us need to hear the negative side of Ecclesiastes and let it sink in. Um, first of all, if you think about the selective atheist or the selective agnostic, I say selective atheist because I think that's what atheists really are. They're picking and choosing what they want to have and what they don't want to have. Think about the selective atheist they pick and choose what they want. They choose to say there is no God. I suspect that's because then there's no accountability. You can do what you want. Um, you can do things your way with God not dictating to you. But if you want to play that out, draw that logic to its end point, take God out of the picture, well, Ecclesiastes shows you where you're headed. The teacher in Ecclesiastes does a better and more complete job of describing atheism than most atheists ever will. When you take God out of the picture, you're left with no meaning, no purpose. A full-blown atheist is someone, they'll do whatever they want. A full-blown atheist is someone who, they have no regard for anyone or anything. And a full-blown atheist would be someone who won't object to you doing whatever you want, to them or with them even, because nothing matters. There's no significance. Most atheists, though, they're selective um, and live with all these inconsistencies and saying God doesn't exist and however they have values and they have whatever. Much of the same, I think, could be said of um, being agnostic, you know, the person who says they don't know if God exists because what they're doing is they're choosing to ignore the burden that God's placed on us, the task that God's placed on us, the fact that God's put this thing on us that we want meaning, we want purpose in life. I'm not sure how you would go um, using Ecclesiastes as an evangelistic tool. I'm not sure how well it'll be received as you try to read through it with a non-Christian. But I think the logic is very helpful for us to have in our minds as Christians. Um, so when you're sharing the gospel, when you're speaking the gospel, having Ecclesiastes in the back of your mind is very helpful. And then you think about the implications for those of us who do fear God, for the Christian. I mean, Ecclesiastes, it has an important part to play in reminding us 
of what matters in this life. Life without God is meaningless. So if you're not really living for God, you're not really living. Ecclesiastes calls on us to remember God, to fear God, to obey God, to respect God as our creator and our judge. And as you do that, life has meaning. Our life has purpose. As we realise this life is fleeting and there is eternity to look forward to, putting God back in the picture makes it all make sense. What we're really made for is a relationship with God. And then when you read Ecclesiastes from a New Testament perspective and put Jesus back in the equation, we know that fearing God and living for him starts by trusting in Jesus and his death in our place and living with him as our Lord and our Saviour. So life under the sun with God out of the picture is futile and meaningless and pointless. What we're really made for is life with God in the picture. We're made for a relationship with God, for life under the S-O-N, that sun. Um, remember the poem back in chapter 1? Everything goes round and round. There is no goal. When you put God back in the picture, well, there is a goal. The goal is, at the end, God will judge everything we've done on this, in this world. So this book of Ecclesiastes, yeah, I think it is confronting. It's conf confronting even for us as Christians who believe in God because it challenges what we value. It challenges all the stuff we pour our time and our effort into. It makes us reevaluate our job or our career or our happiness in our family or our success in this life and to remember that it's fleeting. It's just a puff of air. I think we can make ourselves deaf to that and get so busy with being busy in this world. We don't think of the bigger picture enough. But the book of Ecclesiastes forces it back into focus. And you see this not just in the Old Testament. I, I picked one verse, or a couple of verses from one part of the New Testament because this just gives you a New Testament writer giving you the same perspective on this. This is um, from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. It's the Apostle Paul right into the context where discussion about marriage but listen to what he says chapter 7 verse 29 what i mean brothers is that time is short from now on those who have wives should live as if they have none those who mourn as if they did not those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep those who use things of this world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away and on paul goes this world is passing the teacher in ecclesiastes says it's vanity it's meaningless it's a chasing after the wind um we've got to get that clear clear in our head we we all have to me included why do we find ourselves you know placing value on things which in an eternal perspective mean nothing ecclesiastes says the only certainty is death um the way jesus um, puts it in the gospels is rather than storing up treasures on earth store up your treasures in heaven. It's a more positive way to say it. Rather than valuing your career, your job, your uni course, your school results, we should be valuing our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus. And putting Jesus first should mean then we'll make the most of this short life under the sun and enjoy the seasons the way God's made it purposefully. Enjoy a time um, for each thing in this life. How about I pray? Um, and you can keep talking about these things over this morning too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the timeless truth that's in your word. Lord, please help us to find our meaning in you and in your son. 
and not in anything else in this life. Please change us, change our hearts and our minds so that the remainder of our lives would be lived fearing you and growing in maturity as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.